0: We saw how our view of God is too limited. I think Jason said, we're really desperate for God to heal the sick, and God wants to raise the dead. And so we've got this very narrow view of what we want God to do and who he is and the limit maybe of his power, and his power is unlimited. And so we place these limits on God in our mind and in our lives, and we then struggle through When God's power is limitless, his knowledge is limitless, his love knows no bounds. Uh, Quote Jason used last week from Greg Groeschel, it is a mistake to overestimate what God wants to do in the short term and to underestimate what God wants to do in the long term. That quote, let that quote sink in. Because we do both of these things on a regular basis we, we have such a finite view of what God is doing and all we can see is what's right in front of us. Jesus repeatedly throughout the gospels talks to his disciples about their short-sightedness and about their inability to see what God's doing in his kingdom and their inability to see what the future looks like. Their inability to see how things play together in God's plan. And we don't want to be those people because if we are, then we become focused on the present. We become focused on the situations that we're in. One of our Uh, Ladies uh, prayed this morning about being focused on our emotions, and we let our emotions rule in those situations because we don't have a heavenly perspective. Um, And that's not what God wants. So what does God want to do? It's a question of the day, question of the year, question of life. What does God want to do? There are books written about it. You can go to the Christian bookstore. You can go to the secular bookstore and find books about what God wants to do. We really don't know, except what he tells us in his word. One of those things is that God wants to make all things new. He wants to make all things new. All is an exclusive term, it's exclusive of all other terms. It's all. All or nothing, those are both mutually exclusive terms. God says, I will make, I am going to make all things new. If if you have your Bibles this morning, obviously we're going to put some of these verses up on the screen, but I want to encourage you to bring your Bibles. Uh, Don't don't trust what's up on the screen. Um, We may have misspellings that people will catch. That's my favorite. Uh, Those drive me nuts. But beyond that, you should bring your own Bible uh, so you can look at it and then look at it later. Uh, Mark it up. It's a great thing to do. Isaiah chapter 43 verse 19. This is God talking to the prophet Isaiah, for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? Do you not see it? It's a rhetorical question. I will make a pathway through the wilderness and I, the Lord God, will create rivers in the dry wasteland. I'm about to do something new. I've already begun. Can you see it? One thing we know through scripture is that God makes us new through Christ. He makes us new. He makes his creation new. He makes dry paths through the water. He makes water in the wilderness. He makes things new, but through Christ, he makes us new. And so for me, that means I don't have to drag old Brian around all the time. He gets heavy. He weighs about 190 pounds. And then with all that chain he's got hanging on him, it's really hard to drag Brian down the street. And I think you feel that weight. You've felt that weight before of what it feels like to feel old, even when you're not old. Young people in this room have felt old when they're not old because they're dragging all this oldness that God wants to make new. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter five, beginning in four, verse 14. give you a second to get there. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive His new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, but how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. All of this, is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us we speak for Christ when we say when we plead come back to God that's weighty so Paul here is talking in his letter to the Corinthian church about what's new because of Christ Isaiah reminds us that God is making all things new Paul is telling us here what's new through Christ. Look at verses 14 and 15. First of all, our priorities are new. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, They will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Look at verse 14 where he says, Christ's love controls us. And then in verse 15 he says, Those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves. They will live for Christ. When I'm living for myself, my priorities are myself. I do the things that make myself happy. I do the things that make myself feel fulfilled. I do the things that make myself comfortable. And therefore, my priority is myself when I'm not in Christ. When I'm in Christ, Paul tells us, and what I love about 2 Corinthians 5 is that Paul doesn't say you should be this way or this is the way it should look. He just does it as a presumptive close. He says those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves. Can we assume that if you are living for yourself that you're not in Christ? Paul does. That's interesting and painful to me. Paul makes the presumptive close, we call it. He he presumes that if you're in Christ, you do not live for yourself. I wish we could say that about ourselves as Christians and those who are in Christ. I wish I could say this morning that i live for christ and not for myself i hope i do i would love to paul says that's what we'll do your priorities change if you're in christ when your priorities change your perspective changes look at verse 16 He says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view and how differently we see him now. When we're in Christ, Paul says, you think with a heavenly mind. You see things differently. You see them with the mind of Christ and not from a human point of view. This goes all the way back to the quote we read at the top of this morning and the quote that Jason gave last week. Our human point of view makes us short-sighted. It makes us overestimate what God's doing in the short term and underestimate what he's doing in the long term. Paul says, when you're in Christ, your perspective is new. It changes. You think more the way God thinks. You think with a heavenly mindedness, with the mind of Christ. Christ. Can we always get there? No, because we're finite human beings. We simply can't understand the mind of God. We can't understand the mind of Christ. But the Bible says, God tells us through his word, that we should think with the mind of Christ. So he wouldn't tell us to do that if it wasn't possible. Had a great conversation with a guy the other day, and we were talking about holiness. And and he said, well, I I know I can't be holy, uh, but I'm, I'm really trying. And I said, well, look, that's actually Not true. The Bible says, God says in His Word in Peter, Be holy because I'm holy. Now, He knows we can't get there, but He's given us the Holy Spirit to do it. He's given us His power. The full power of God resides in us if we're in Christ. So think with the mind of Christ and stop thinking like a human. We play our little games. It was really funny. Uh, We were watching football yesterday, and um, we were explaining to Ellie these intricacies of the conferences, the ACC, the SEC, the Pac-12. She started to sort of pick up on these things that there are different conferences and different things going on, and the conference commissioner was speaking, and she's like, who's this guy? like, I wish I knew. Um, but, But Jenny said, well, honey, there are politics involved in sports just like there are everywhere else. You know, that's something for a young person who's Ellie's age, 12 years old and taking social studies and figuring all this stuff out. She needs to understand what politics look like. But politics are a human point of view. It's not a godly point of view. We like to play politics as Christians. You don't believe me, uh, go to any church in the United States of America and ask who makes the decisions. Seriously. Seriously. I mean, it could be fun for you on a Sunday morning. Just walk into a church and go, hey, just walk up to somebody and go, hey, who makes the decisions here? Boy, that's going to be fun. And you're going to get 50 different answers before you get out the door if you just go in with your little, you know, Holly Hobby Pad. Um, I'm just wondering, who makes the decisions here? I promise you, no one's going to say, Jesus, oh, Pastor Bob, oh, we have a deacon board. We have an executive committee. We have a board of elders. We have a board of directors. Our executive pastor makes the decisions. Our people vote on our decisions. We have business meetings every other week where we waste two hours of God's time. I'm off topic now. We think with a human mind. We think with a human point of view. Paul says if we're in Christ, we think with Christ's point of view. What else is new? Our life, our very life in Christ is new. Look at verse 17. This means that anyone, all the ones who belong to Christ, anyone has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. You guys ever seen a butterfly go back to the cocoon? Anybody ever seen it? You ever seen a butterfly trying to sleep inside of its cocoon? You got rid of that caterpillar? You ever seen a snake try to crawl back into its old skin that it's shed? Yeah, I mean, neither. Half the time they eat it. Gross. But that means it's gone. Old life is gone, new life has begun. God refers to it in the Bible as a dog going back to its vomit. I know that's an ugly, ugly image, but it's the one we have to think about. God says if you're going back to your old life after being in Christ, you are like a dog returning to eat its vomit. Man, I don't want to eat vomit, I want to eat from the Lord's table. I hope we as his people want to eat from his table. We want to eat the newness that he's provided for us and not the oldness. Because new life has begun in Christ. What else is new? Our mission. Our path. Where we're heading is new. Look at verses 18 through 20. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Look at verse 20. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ. When we plead, come back to God. Our mission is new, and this is it. It's the task of reconciling people to God. I got to be honest with you, it's not the task of building a church. Christ said, That's my job. I will build my church, the gates of hell won't prevail against it. That's not your mission. Your mission is to make disciples, to reconcile people to God. That's my mission. That's our mission if we're in Christ. Talk about a change of priority. That's our priority. That's why he left us here. It's why when we trusted Christ, we weren't immediately whisked into the presence of God. Because he wants us here to be his ambassadors. Does anybody know what an ambassador is? Brandon and I took our boys to uh, Father Son Camp this year, and it's a royal ambassador camp run by Southern Baptists in North Carolina. We had a blast. But it's really cool when you listen to the royal ambassadors, all these boys that are in royal ambassador programs, which is a missions focused program that they do at their churches, to hear them talk about what it means to be a royal ambassador for Christ. And it's weighty. So you got like these eight, nine, 10, 11 year old boys talking about as a royal ambassador for Christ, I will, and I will, and I will, and I will. You are Christ's emissary. Have any of you had to ever go to a meeting to vote for something and you couldn't be there? And so you gave somebody what the legal world calls your proxy or you gave somebody your voting rights. Anybody ever done that? No, okay, I have. Board of directors, got to go to board of directors meeting, got to vote, can't be there. It's an important vote. I'm going to send Joe to be my proxy. And when, before I leave to go out of town or whatever is pulling me away from that board meeting, I say, Joe, they're going to vote on these three items. My vote on this is yes. My vote on this is yes. My vote on this is I would like to table it. Okay. If Joe goes to that meeting and votes no, maybe, and I didn't read that one. He ain't my ambassador. And then I get to go back on the other end and I've got to nullify Joe's vote because it wasn't my vote. He did not speak for me as my ambassador, as my proxy. He did exactly the opposite of what I told him to do. Think Christ ever has to void you out? Who does Christ have to send in behind you to clean up your mess when you're not his ambassador? When you lose diplomatic relations It gets you fired in the United States Nikki Haley goes to the UN and says something that the Trump administration doesn't want said guess where Nikki Haley's gonna be back in South Carolina Maybe talking to Henry McMaster about getting a job on his staff Why she's the ambassador to the United Nations for the United States of America as such she speaks on behalf of the people of the United States of America. And we see, we see that as this lofty goal. And oh my goodness, Nikki Haley is so important. She speaks for the United States of America to the United Nations. She's my ambassador to the United Nations. And I cheer when she says something hard and when she gets in somebody's face about terrorism or whatever, oh, this is terrific. Guys, we are the ambassadors of Christ to the world. We are. Those of us who are in Christ. We represent the Lord Jesus to the world. That's much more important than being the ambassador to the UN. And our ability to speak for Christ is much more important than our ability to speak for the President of the United States. I think we would all agree with that. We have to be new, we can't be old. Our families, our friends, our neighbors, our city. They all need us to be new. To be different. We won't bring them to Christ by looking like the world. We won't. Why do they need what you have when it looks exactly like what they have? Brokenness, envy, strife, scorn, politics. Failures. Deceit, hurt feelings, brokenness. Why why would I want to add all of this responsibility on top of myself, this coming to a church and this going to a city group and this sharing the gospel with my neighbor and and this wearing the city church? Why would I want to add that to a life that I already have is hard when you're going to add hard to me by being the same way that all of my friends are? And when I turn my back, you're going to talk about me. And when I say something that's a mistake, you're going to get in my face about it and blow me up. Why would I want that when I can get that in the world? I have been treated better by lawyers who do not know lawyers. Those folks that Shakespeare said we should kill them all and we'll be better off. Okay? Lawyers have treated me better than the people of God. I have been in litigation with lawyers who are on the other side of me. I'm the plaintiff, they're the defendants. They treated me better than Christians who may disagree with me about a point of theology or where we put the curtains on Sunday morning. We gotta be new because if we're not new like Christ, we cannot accomplish the mission that God has for us which is to reconcile them to him we're putting our arms around people and carrying them to Christ that's what that looks like it's not ringing the dinner bell hey everybody come on in no we gotta walk out there and get them around the shoulder let me introduce you to somebody this is Jesus he made me new he can make you new Look what Jesus says in Matthew 5. And this is cool because we've been talking about all around this in the last couple of weeks. Matthew chapter 5. This is in the Sermon on the Mount and this is verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world in Matthew 5, that I am the light of the world. Who else is the light of the world? Who else said, I'm the light of the world? Jesus said it himself. He said, I'm the light of the world. In Matthew 5, he's saying, you're the light of the world. Guys, that's the easy question. Like, that's the answer that all the kids give on Sunday. What did we learn today? Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. And he's now saying to you and me, you're the light of the world. I am. If you're in me, you are. raised to life, like Lazarus. In fact, better than Lazarus was at the time because we have eternal life in Christ. We're raised to life. And Jesus says, now you're the light of the world. Shine it. If you don't believe me, look over at Ephesians chapter 5. Another chapter 5. Super cool. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful to even talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will give you light. I don't even have to shine my own light. It's his light. And it exposes the darkness. We talked earlier this year where darkness is when light is introduced no matter the level of the light, the darkness flees. I assume all of y'all watched the eclipse. How amazing was it how much light was still left when the sun is completely blocked by the moon and it's in that diamond ring and you've got just just a little bit of light sliding around and the temperature cooled down you can still see and have to turn on the flashlight why because just a little bit of light lights up the darkness Let it shine.